Morning. morning. Morning to those of you watching online as well this morning. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Yes. Um, we are going to be, as that uh, video just introduced, back in this series, 1 Corinthians, Rights and Freedoms. We're going to look this morning at another freedom, one of the perhaps the most important freedoms teased out in, talked about in these chapters in the middle of this letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So you have a copy of the Bible. We'll get there in just a minute. You can turn it on, open it up, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Talk about an important freedom uh, in the life of faith. Much of the last century, we can talk about that now, uh, the 20th century. You might even say really though, even you might say even much of American history, uh, not just the 20th century. The work of evangelism, Okay, what do I mean by evangelism? That is, the, the church sharing our faith, sharing the gospel with people who don't know it. There was a time where everybody, it, even those of us here, of course, in this room, when I wasn't a Christian, you weren't a Christian if you're a Christian, sharing the faith. This is the purpose of the church, the ultimate purpose of the church. For much of the last century, maybe American history, the work of evangelism was helping, you might say, unconverted Christians, right, have a genuine encounter with the grace of God. What do I mean by unconverted Christian? I mean, people who grew up in um, a Christian church of a kind. You know, there's different uh, labels. They grew up in a Christian church of a kind. They believed in God. They had a sense, maybe this was you, it was me, a sense of right and wrong, right, that maybe lined up with some of what the Bible said. Had a basic understanding, not a great understanding, but a basic understanding of the Bible, a loose understanding of some of the things that were said that Jesus said. And their sense was, maybe your sense was, to be accepted by God meant you simply had to earn his um, favor. You had to earn his forgiveness by doing some of the good things that the Bible said, okay? So this was what many people, I would say, that's what I would call an unconverted Christian. Someone who has, in some sense, the basic outline, the framework of, say, of a Christian morality, even knows some things about the Bible, certainly would say, if asked, do you believe in God? Yes. Are you a Christian of a kind yes okay they would say those things I would have said those things but they believe that ultimately you're accepted by God you know you are you are granted forgiveness you might say or given forgiveness because you earn it through some kind of way in which you live your life okay I think a lot of people were had that so listen that's my story grew up in this town grew up in a church like that that was my story and I believed, you know, that, I mean, this is what the Ten Commandments are for, right? That's what they're about. That's how you receive, ultimately, God's forgiveness. This is what the sacraments are about, if you're from a church of that particular background. That was my story until I was a college student, and God opened my eyes to the missing piece. I'll call it the gospel. See, I had the framework. God opened my eyes, and I realized that I could never satisfy the demands of a holy God, right? God is almighty. God is holy. I could never, through whatever religion I had, through whatever practices I had, through any kind of compliance with rules or commandments or anything, I could never, ever satisfy the demands of a holy God. But, this was the insight, this was the thing that opened my eyes, that that's the very purpose God sent Jesus into the world. He didn't send Jesus in the world simply to preach some good sermons, to perform some miracles. He did both of those things. But the express purpose, 
that God sent his son Jesus into the world was to satisfy the justice demands that I couldn't. He lived a life, a perfect life, that I, that you, could never live in complete compliance with the Old Testament covenant. That's the life that Jesus lived. And he died Not for his sins, but that same law that condemned sin, first through proxy animal sacrifices, ultimately through the Lamb of God, a human sacrifice. He, on the cross, died not for his sins, but for my sins. God sent his Son into the world to satisfy the demands of justice for me. Wow, that was big. I can still remember. Because in my case, I was a young adult. I was a college student. Being in a church service, in my case, it happened in a church service. doesn't always. Being in a church service, hearing someone stand up here who put those pieces together, certainly uh, 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 made alive through the, through the Holy Spirit of God, took those words, helped me understand, bring the connection through this basic understanding that I had about, let's say, right and wrong and God and morality, but help me understand the gospel, open my eyes to the fact that Jesus Christ satisfied these demands, the fact that Jesus Christ took a bullet for me, the fact that God loved me and lived the perfect life for me, and I received the forgiveness. I can remember raising my hand. I can remember a sense of re- the, the release of forgiveness, a sense of the presence of God in my life. It was a beautiful thing. And I think many good Bible-believing churches, even this one, I assume I wasn't here then, many Bible, good believe, Bible-believing churches like this one, they were organized throughout the 20th century and before to help people have that very kind of experience, to say, listen, the, the, the general population has some framework of what it means. They have some sense of right or wrong. They believe in God. They grew up in a church where there was an Old Testament, New Testament, not all, but many, And we need to help people have an understanding that you don't become a Christian through earning God's favor vis-a-vis the Ten Commandments. You earn it through receiving his perfect life and his sacrificial death. Okay, that was big, big, big insight. Many churches were organized that way. However, times have changed, right? In terms of the baseline knowledge that people have today, those of you who have adult children, adult nieces, adult nephews, neighbors, friends, your, 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 te- your college teacher, your high school teacher, you know this better than anybody. Times have changed as far as the baseline information the average person has in our culture about the things of God. Pew Research does religious demographic studies. Every 10 years they did one in 2021. There's a category, many of you know this, it's called, what is your religious affiliation? Catholic, Presbyterian, Muslim, Buddhist, there's one that says, none, I don't have one, which basically means to my understanding, not I'm a lapsed Catholic, I'm a lapsed Presbyterian, I don't go to temple anymore, it means I grew up in a family where there was no religious background. My parents didn't take us to church, they didn't take us to temple, I'm not an atheist, maybe I am, I'm not a believer in God. I'm what we call an agnostic. I don't know. I have no background whatsoever. I'm a nun. 30% of adults in America say that. Maybe some of your uh, friends and family, some of mine. Professing Christians, another, another thing that's said. Are you a professing Christian? Now, the professing Christian is pretty wide, okay? I would have called myself a professing Christian, when I was a high school student as an example, and I was no more a true Christian than 
the, the most avid atheist in the truest sense, okay? But I would have called myself a professing Christian. Many people in this country anyway would have called themselves a professing Christian. Just in the 10 years between 2011 and 2021, it went from 75% to 63 in 10 years, which means in another 10 years, maybe less than 50% of the people in this country would even call themselves a professing Christian, which doesn't mean a whole lot. But the purpose of the church, to the point of this sermon, has not changed. The purpose of the church is the same that it's always been, to do whatever we can do by God's grace and his, uh, his um, leading to share the message of the gospel that I just got done talking about, the true gospel, with people who don't know it. And the question is, what does it look like, what does it need to look like in a post-Christian world? Rob, what do you mean by post-Christian? You've heard those terms. It's what I just got done saying to you. That an increasing number of people, maybe a near majority of people, do not have a framework. Forget whether or not they're a true Christian. They don't have a framework of a belief in God. They don't have a framework for understanding these things. They don't necessarily um, b- uh, believe in, in the Bible. They don't know anything about it. They don't have a framework. You can't connect the dots the way you could, you know, 20, 40, 60 years ago. What does it need to look like in a post? Perhaps there is no better place to explain what it looks like in a post-Christian world than to say what did it look like in a pre-Christian world, which is the world of the New Testament. Remember, when the New Testament was written, when we're looking at letters like this one, how many Christians were there? Not very many. It was all brand new. And this passage we're going to look at this morning, I think is one of the most important passages on this question of how evangelism is done before there ever was a Christian culture. You with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. title of this message is The Freedom to Share Your Faith. Verses 19 to 23. Follow along as I read. The Freedom to Share Your Faith. Though I am free. Kind of picking up where we left off last week. Though I am free. It's the Apostle Paul speaking. And belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews... I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. Or what he means, he doesn't save people, but point people, help people, direct people to Jesus. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Right? The freedom to share your faith. See, we've been given a freedom in Christ. Many of us were familiar with those terms. The question is, what's it for? That's what we're talking about in this brief sermon series. What's it for, the freedom that you've been given? Is it just for me to enjoy? Is it just for me to go have a good time? Is it just for me to say I'm off the hook? No, it's a freedom for. It's not a freedom just from. Yes, it's from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, from a dark and hopeless kind of existence. Yes, that's true. But it's a freedom for something. Right? What are you doing with this freedom? It's a freedom to share your faith. Okay, first thing I'm going to say, this passage, 
I think this is the Apostle Paul's basic ideas, is this freedom is grounded in a biblical worldview. Okay? What do I mean by that? This freedom is grounded in a biblical worldview. Think about the Apostle Paul. More in this letter than any other, he's bearing his heart. He's saying something very specific. Though I am free, this is his testimony, in a manner of speaking, or part of it. And the reason the Apostle Paul bears his heart so much in the letters of the Corinthian church is because they criticized him. He was constantly being compared to other sort of celebrity ministers, people that were really not really ministers, but he was being constantly criticized. And when you're under a lot of criticism, it's natural. You're, you're, you, 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 you know, you work through it and you, and you, you, you hopefully you, you, it, it brings things out in you, right? You want people to really understand who you are and what you're about. And you see that here in this passage in particular. And Paul's telling you something that is about his life but should be about ours too. The freedom is grounded in a biblical world. Let me say a few things about the Apostle Paul. You know this, many of you. He was an educated member of an elite class of people in his day. Probably well compensated, certainly well respected. Now this isn't true today for the clergy class. This isn't true today for the most part for let's call them religious scholars or even pastor people. But the Apostle Paul, when, when he walked into a place, he was recognized in the marketplace. There was a certain honor, a certain deference, you know, for the Apostle Paul or someone like him because of his role, okay, prior to becoming a Christian. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a recognized religious scholar. I mean, he, if he wanted a table at a restaurant, so to speak, he got it. Okay? This was the nature of his life. Yet he sacrificed his career, his reputation, his reputation and career that were built out of his religious identity, his racial identity, being a Jewish person. He sacrificed them for one goal. So this passage tells us to help point people to Jesus Christ. In fact, five times in this passage we just read, he uses the term win. That's even a term that's you know, transcended our, our own history about winning someone to Christ. But in verse 22, he gets clear and tells you what he's really talking about. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. He's not talking about winning their business. As a Christian person, as a Christian minister, we're not out there trying to win people's business. This isn't a business transaction, right? Sometimes it feels like that. Or evangelism, if I can use that word, has felt that way. We're not out trying to win people's business. We're trying to do whatever it is that we can possibly do, humbly, to help point people, to help change their eternal destiny. That's what Paul says. Okay, that's a, that's a worldview. First uh, Philippians chapter 3, 7 through 9. Here's his story. But whatever were gains to me, Gains, that's a good metaphor for us. In other words, what am I living for? I'm building a reputation. I'm building a house. I'm building a home. I'm building something. But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ, the peak of his career. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Stop there just for a minute. Let me say something about the Christian faith, Okay. It's not meant to be a grind. It's not meant to be a, you know, take your lumps. It's the most beautiful, the most wonderful adventure you could ever have is to be enter into a relationship for the things that really matter, the pearl of great price. He went and sold everything that he had, everything with joy, Jesus said, so that he could have that piece of land. He's talking about Jesus Christ. What Paul's saying here, 
for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What he's talking about here. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is what he'd been building his whole life, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Okay? It raises the question for us today. Here's my point. How seriously do we believe in what the Bible says about eternal destiny, including the people in your life, including the people in your family, if you have some unsafe family, including the people you work with? Right? Do we have a biblical world view? Are we living as if this teaching were true? And if we're not... Are we willing to curb our freedoms to be a better witness to others? Okay? This freedom begins with a biblical worldview. Second, this freedom takes place within committed relationships. Okay? That's what Paul's really saying here. Okay? It's not a technique. I'm not saying this is a tech, it's not a task. It's not, we need to go on a field trip to the other side of town. You know, I mean, sometimes we do these things. Okay? That's not what Paul is talking about here. It's not a technique. He adapted his behavior, number one, and downplayed parts of his identity, downplayed parts of his identity, to gain a greater hearing for the gospel. You say, Rob, what does he do? We talked about this last week. I'll give you two quick examples. Number one, in this culture, very pagan, very culture, very Gentile culture, very um, you know, animistic kind of a culture. They weren't Jews. That's what a Gentile is, a non-Jew. There weren't a lot of religions back in that day. They were idol worshipers. And Paul said a lot of these people were Christians. They came out of these pagan temples, and therefore they were very sensitive to people who were Christians who would still eat the meat from these temples. And I said, Paul said this. It's a small thing, but he said, listen, end of chapter 8. Listen. As long as I'm doing church business in the town of Corinth, around people who have a great sensitivity, he says, I will never eat meat again if it's going to stand in the way for me sharing the gospel. If I am totally free. I am free. I can eat meat. Idols are nothing. All God's creation is for our benefit and joy. It's given. I know I can do it, but I'm not going to do it. Here's another thing he did. I didn't give this sermon. It's the first uh, part of chapter 9, the first 18 verses. Paul said, listen. He gives this long um, discussion. You can read it yourself. And he said, let me tell you something about ministers of the gospel. And he uses the Old Testament as an example. He goes into the Bible and says, listen. People who preach the gospel, who are ministers, they ought to be paid by the church. He gives this example. He makes his case, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through uh, uh, 18. But he says, I'm not taking a dime from you. You know know why Paul didn't take a dime from anyone in Corinth? He did from other churches. Because this was a patronage culture. I talked about this when we started this series in the fall. What do I mean by a patronage culture? Quickest example I can give you is... um, I was in, in Italy this last summer. Many of you have been there. And I just happened to be standing. I did the cheap way of learning about, you know, instead of taking the tour, I, I followed a tour a little bit. You know, I was kind of on the edges. And, and, I, and I was standing in, in one of these uh, uh, piazzas and this person was giving this great history lesson about patronage. And they said, listen, most of this town, Florence, was built by the Medici family. 
There would be no David. I'm talking about Michelangelo's David. There would be no Sistine Chapel. There would be none of these things if the Medici family, this very wealthy family, did not pay, were the patrons of these great artists. That's how the world looks. Same was true here. Paul didn't take money. He said, I deserve it. The Bible says I can have it. It's, a, it's baked in the law of the Old Testament. Do not muzzle out the mouth of the ox that treads the corn. He quotes it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, listen, but I'm not taking a dime from you because I don't want that to stand. I don't want anybody else, right? This even happens in churches. It shouldn't, right? You know, the, 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 the pastor is driven by the 12 rich people that say, I don't want this music and I don't want that. You know what I'm trying to say? But he's saying, listen, I'm not going to do that. I am free. No one's going to own me. In a culture where people, to be free, though, what does it really mean? Though I am free. What are you using your freedom for? To be free means to transcend all cultural allegiances that might get in the way. What does he say? This is so odd when you read it in front, at first uh, swipe. To the Jews I became like a Jew. Well, what does that mean? Isn't Paul Jewish? Paul didn't stop being Jewish. I didn't stop being Italian or American or Irish, you know, or a Rochesterian. I didn't stop being those things when I became a Christian. Paul was still Jewish, but what Paul's saying is this. In Christ, I'm free from the law. I don't know, I no longer need to uh, 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 comply to the law in the way that I understood it in the old covenant. Jesus Christ has lived the life I couldn't live, he died as the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice in the book of Leviticus. The Lamb became a human being. It's the Son of God. I don't have to live this way. This was the whole point of his ministry. But what Paul is saying is, there are many things that Jewish people did that were not standing in the way of the gospel. You might say this is what Paul's saying in so many words in these verses. Around Jews, I was kosher. Around non-Jews, I was non-kosher. And some people said, you're a flip-flopper. Some people said, you're not consistent. He said, get over it. I serve a higher principle. And my higher principle isn't about my, my preferences, my point of view, my little, um, little sermon I want to give to the Jews who are still you know, wearing certain clothes and eating certain foods. That's not important to me. If they want to celebrate Passover, I'll celebrate it with them and not let that stand in the way of sharing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if, the, and if these pagan people are all worked up about eating meat, even though it's a good deal, I'll never eat meat again because I don't want that to stand in the way of me sharing the gospel with people who don't know him. This freedom takes place within committed relationships. To be free means to transcend all cultural allegiances that might get in the way. I am not, you are not, I hope, a conservative Christian. Okay? I'm not a white Christian. I'm not a black Christian. I'm not a patriotic Christian. I'm a Christian. First and foremost. Right? I was blind, now I see. Period. I'm all those other things, if I'm any of them. Second. Okay? Second. And if those second things are standing in the way of me sharing the gospel, leave them down. I can't tell you how many people have said to me, maybe you, but... You know, whether it was in the gym, at the Starbucks, at the, on the chairlift. Oh, you're a pastor. Who'd you vote for? <laughs> Who'd you vote for? Now, why do people ask that question? Because, I'm talking about non-Christians. Because they assume that what it means to be a Christian in the, in the sort of out here culture where I don't have any background, oh, that means you're 
in some people, you're, you're connected to some political party. I'm a Christian, right? To reach people today, point is this, you need to know their hopes and their aspirations. To know their hopes and their aspirations, what Paul's getting in here, you need to have real relationships to do that. Okay, It's not a transaction. Here's my question. Do you even know, ask yourself this question, do you even know the questions your unbelieving friends or family are even asking? I'm talking about life. Do you even know the questions they're asking? Do you even know the objections they might have and hold about the Christian faith? Do you know them? Do you? I spent time this uh, last summer. One guy I've known for many, many years, not a church-going guy, um, perhaps one of these nuns. We've talked many times over the years, but we don't see each other a lot. We have a long history. And we were, he asked me to do something with him. It kind of took like a day, like help me paint my house. It wasn't that, but help me do something. But in the course of that day, he brought up some things. And we got into it. But in the course of that conversation, I realized, I've known this guy for many, many years, what his real objection was to Christianity. It took a long time to come out. You can't know people's hopes. You can't know people's aspirations. You can't know the questions they have if you don't have any relationships with them. This is how you do it. It's how Paul did it. It's how we need to do it today. That kind of investment, right? Here's the point about freedom. means saying no to things you could be doing and putting down parts of your identity that are a barrier to people seeing Jesus Christ in you. There's a woman in my small group. It's a great example of this. And I've known her for many years, but she's a great example of true freedom takes place within committed relationships. She doesn't, in a manner of speaking, go out of her way. Right? She doesn't get on an airplane. She's never been on a mission trip as far as I know. I don't know. She doesn't go out of her way. She has a life. She has children. She has a job. She has things. But she's very intentional about being in her way about sharing the faith and building relationships. She had told this story a few times about one of her neighbors, and I asked her to write it down for me here. Quote, 19 years ago, I met a neighbor who had grown to become one of my best friends and sisters in Christ. At that time, we met, she believed in God, was raised in a church, but had no desire to explore faith or attend church. She became a faithful walking partner, still is. And in our walks, we had many conversations that often led to talks about faith. It was quite a while later that I learned she'd been through some very hard things in her life. After a few years of walking together, I asked her if she would like to get together one night a week and read through the Bible. She agreed. We decided on the book of Romans. The power of God's word did not return void soon after she began attending church. Fast forward a few more years. She did receive Jesus as her savior, was baptized, and now attends a Bible teaching church. Now, 19 years, she encourages me and reminds me often of God's goodness and has been a blessing to me through many ups and downs in my life. By coincidence, on a recent walk, she said, I'm, you're an evangelist, said this to her. I laughed, and that was it. But today, this was a week or so ago, 
after you shared, asked me, I'm sorry, to write about my friendship, she's talking to me, I asked her what she meant by that and what it looks like. She said, quote, it looks like coming alongside someone, caring, sharing, listening, inviting, and never giving up. And never giving. This freedom begins with a biblical worldview. Do you really believe do I really believe, okay, that the people in your life, right, you don't have to get on an airplane. I, I, I wish we did, but we don't have to because people in my life and in your life, many, many people, whatever their background beliefs are, they don't know, they don't know the gospel the way that you know it. They don't know the freedom, the forgiveness, the joy, the, 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 you know, those things I counted gain, I count them now loss. I found the pearl of great price. They don't know that, okay? Do you, do you truly believe that? And this kind of freedom takes place within committed relationships, right? It's not about leaving, uh, you know, a piece of paper. It's not about uh, sending them a link. It's about a committed relationship. Finally, this freedom is driven by a compelling goal, okay? This is where Paul ends it, a compelling goal. Verse 24, do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Let me save time. Why is he going into this athletic metaphor? Paul lived in ancient Corinth. It was the place of the Ismithian Games. There was an Isthmus, Isthmus. It was the Panhellenic Games. This is, like, this is where the Olympics were born. And he's using this simple metaphor. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will last, will not last, right? But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air, right? Throwing punches that don't hit. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. So that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The prize isn't becoming a Christian. We already covered that. You don't earn your salvation. The prize is the joy. The crown, the crown is the only thing that will last in this life. You're, you know, I joke about someone in my small group said, quit talking about people's lake houses, okay? But the point is, it's not going to last, okay? It's not going to last, Nothing you have in this life, nothing will last except other people. Philippians 4.1 is what Paul is talking about. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Paul started this church, Acts 16. Okay? That's what the crown is. Yet the verses here that we just read, are talked about not simply the goal, but really how you reach that goal. And how you reach that goal, right? The freedom is driven by a compelling goal, is through making choices. Verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into, I underline this, strict training. Real quick Bible study here. Strict training. Those two words, hyphenated word, it's a Greek word. Egokratia. You know what egokratia is very simple. If you, ego means your ego. Kratia means command, right? It's, it, a, a wooden translation would be self-command. In Galatians 5, that very term is used. 
to talk about the fruits of the Spirit, which is self-control, right? Self-control. Well, how do I exercise self-control concerning my freedom of being someone who's committed to seeing people come to know Christ? So two ways. I just illustrated it in the story I read. Number one, be intentional. Number two, you got to make sacrifices, right? You don't need to go out of your way. You need to be more intentional in your way. And you need to make sacrifices to build relationships with people who's going to take some time to do that, okay? Who you get to know and understand. It's not about giving information. What are their hopes? What are their aspirations? And what are their objections to the Christian faith? It takes time. Be always ready to give an answer to anyone asks you about the hope that lies within you with gentleness and respect. That takes time. But it's the greatest purpose in life. That's what Paul's trying to say. Okay? Greatest purpose in life. Listen, we do our part. Paul, I like his language, that I might save some. In other words, Paul knows he doesn't have the ability to save people. He's not the Holy Spirit. You aren't, I'm not. God's not asking you to do something you can't do. He's simply asking you to do your part. To use your freedom to be a part of being used of God humbly and gently for the people in your life to be used of God, be intentional, make sacrifices. God does the rest. I don't know how many of you have heard a good image to end this sermon with. That at uh, 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 Asbury um, University in Kentucky just this past Wednesday had a regular old chapel service. A bunch of college kids Coming in, a few faculty members, 80, 90 people. The guy giving the sermon, a student pastor, a message on confession and repentance from Romans chapter 12. They end the thing, everybody go to class. 30 kids stay behind, stay confessing their sins, um, just felt the Lord leading uh, next thing you know, 30 more comes, 60 more comes. By the end of the day, there's 1,000 people there. Okay, This spontaneous kind of revival, it's still going on today. I saw one kid give his testimony. Young college kid, 20-year-old, he said, I don't know what's going on, I'm exhausted. But many people in this room are coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Okay, God does, we have to do our part. Only God can save. Paul's not saying he really saves anybody, but he's saying, listen, I'm going to give my life. The goal drives, the goal drives the self-control. That's what drives it. It says, I'm going to be more intentional. I'm going to be more, um, I'm going to make sacrifices. The gospel story is about a witness who came to us by becoming one of us, right? That's the gospel story. An insider who felt our deepest hopes and aspirations, who learned the questions we were asking and the things that trouble us. Right? He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He immersed himself deeply into a fallen world, talking about Jesus, sharing everything with us and even more giving his life away for us. Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. Let me tell you what Jesus didn't come for. He didn't come here to experience the Father's love. He already had it. He didn't come here to experience the Father's glory. He already had it. He didn't, why did Jesus come? 
What was the joy? It was you. That's what he didn't have. It was me. As Paul said, I wanted to share. Jesus said, listen, I'll do it. I'll, I'll go through this hell in a manner of speaking. I will go through this because the greatest joy, the greatest thing is to see other people have experience, share in the blessings, eternal life. That's what it's all about. I'm a Christian first. That's what people need. That's what God's called us to do. Okay? So let me give you some takeaways. How can you exercise your freedom today? Three things. My example of the woman from my small group is a good, a good uh, illustration. Open your eyes to the relationship opportunities in your life. All right? You don't need to go out of your way. You need to be more intentional about being in your way. I could spend the rest of my life simply following up on the people that are already in my life. Inventory your life. All right? Maybe we'll have another service like they did in Asbury. You know? <laughs> Let's just confess our sins. Inventory your life. Okay? Get rid of some of the clutter that's keeping you from being intentional about the most important work. And pray regularly for the spiritually lost people in your life. That's so easy. What's old is new again. Three by five card. Okay? Pray specifically for the people. Okay? Who are spiritually lost in your life. I'll bet you it wouldn't take you long to make the list. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for this time and this day. We love you. We ask for your grace, your peace to be ours. I pray for all of us in this room. Lord, help us to become people who, um, Lord, are more um, clear on, the, on, on our own freedom. Help us to know that we've been given great, um, uh, great release from our sins and great release from our burdens that we might live a free life, unencumbered, um, you know, uh, not patrons to anyone or any cause except the cause of Jesus, that we might help to see people in our lives who are, who are hurting, who are lost, who are blinded, Lord, blinded by the God of this world um, and would, would probably yield their hearts quickly, openly to Jesus if we'd only invest and be available. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, have a great Sunday. Happy uh, Football Sunday. If you're new to uh, us, say hello to one of our friends at the table. As soon as you walk out to the right, we'd love to uh, get you connected to the life of our church. Have a great Sunday.